darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Hi guys, welcome back. This is our sixth episode now, the seventh for me. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today. We're joined by two uh, sex workers and we're going to get their insight into how they're coping during coronavirus and how the industry is coping, especially with some of the actions the Dutch government has taken recently. Uh, so perhaps if I introduce or let Yvette and Klaus introduce themselves... I'm a chem and porn performer. Okay. And, um, I am uh, a sex worker, first rights activist, now working for the PIC. Yeah. And Klaus, yourself? So, um, sex worker, also studying cultural analysis at UVA. And then I'm recently a member of SAVE, Sex Workers Against Violence and Exploitation. Okay. And you, you're from Sweden originally? Yes. So why did you just start, decide to stay in Amsterdam um, with coronavirus, obviously? Um, well, I mean, my parents sort of want me home. And then also because I can't work at the moment, that's a bit tricky. And we can't until September when we are doing contact stuff. So um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do now, actually. I might have to go home until this blows over, but I'm going to try and stay. And Yvette, what's been your experience so far with coronavirus and work? Well, yeah, for me, I, I was working on a documentary uh, series, um, so that stopped, um, obviously. Um, my, my, my main activity at the moment is, is my, my activism, so um, that's, that's a lot of work. Um, and online, life goes on. Um, there's, yeah, there, there are clients, there's work, um, but um, I just re- really see my community suffer, and that scares me a lot. Could um, you explain what the PIC does, perhaps, for our listeners? Hmm. Yeah, the PIC is uh, an information center, prostitution information center, mm-hmm. and it's been in the red light district for 25 years. It was uh, it started out uh, uh, by the initiator Mariska Mayor, who had been a sex, sex worker herself, and when she left the industry, she um, uh, she realized it was really hard to sort of. Uh, really get rid of the stigma so even though if she was not a sex worker anymore mm-hmm. she she was still carrying the weight of the stigma of having of been a sex worker um, so she started an information center to to inform the public um, journalists uh, uh, scholars um, uh, students but also sex workers and clients um, about sex work from a sex worker perspective mm-hmm. so I assume it was a physical location right absolutely that yeah. you walk in so have they taken that service online now Definitely, you can get lectures online, mm-hmm. um, but um, it was very important that we that we have like a, a walk-in yeah. um, a location where you can like shamelessly just sort of wander around and ask mm. and then ask the questions that you might have. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely an issue that that's not happening now. And has there been much interaction from the media, sort of trying to gain a perspective of how sex workers are coping during coronavirus? Well. Funny enough, mainly like non-Dutch press, Um, but here in the Netherlands, um, our case uh, or like the the fact that that we now have rules that are really discriminating sex workers from every other type of workers, um, it's it's mainly ignored by the the national media. It's really, really strange. Is the government doing anything to help sex workers during the pandemic? Because for other industries, they... They're obviously further where they're paying mm-hmm. people's salaries. Is that happening at all? No, yeah. sex workers are mainly, especially uh, leg- legal, and I'm saying legal, like sex workers who work under a license, nor self-employed, nor employee. 
um, and therefore they cannot rely on the corona aid or the corona benefits. Um, so basically everyone who paid taxes as a legal sex worker over the last 10 years is now declined any sort of financial help. Gosh. So now we've got questions from uh, ourselves that we sort of want you to help us deconstruct. Um, so Tiff, do you want to start us off? Yeah, first of all, why did you both decide to come on this podcast in the first place? Um, well, I mean, to spread information mm. um, and to sort of work against the stigma, it's really important that we continue to keep talking about this because the stigma is so deeply rooted and it always perseveres. So, yeah. And yourself, Yvette? Yeah, I, I just see how sex workers in the Netherlands and worldwide are being discriminated against. And I'm, I'm very happy that I, I'm able to um, to use my privilege and, and, and be out as a sex worker and speak about our, how our humans right, human rights are being violated. Do you think social media has helped with that? I think there is like a larger movement now where a lot of sex workers are coming out or are <clears throat> working more actively on Twitter and Instagram for destigmatization but it's still very hard and especially in the Netherlands when we are now experiencing pressure on the red light district and the sex work relation act it is more important than ever that we keep pushing these issues and so maybe we start with how you guys got into your lines of work well for me um so i i was like in university uh, film studies um i had a background in art so i like and like sexuality has always been uh, an important topic in my in my creative work. Um, so when you like film and when you like sex, uh, porn is like a uh, yeah, like right in the middle of that. Um, so it became my my academic interest and um, and also my creative interest. And it started. I started out as I had the desire to make porn uh, to to create stories about human sexuality and mm-hmm. um, uh, doing that. I wanted to do that as a director. I also strongly felt that I should have the experience of, of being in front of the camera as well. Um, so that's where I started. Um, is it all done independently for yourself and sort of your own promoting? Mm, oh no, I, I started out for a, for a big international website. Okay. Um, where I started as a model and then um, I um, did an internship there, uh, got a job. Um, and yeah, became a, a producer, so I was okay. on set a lot. Okay. Um, and yeah, and I was that was going on beside my 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 academic studies. So there was like a lot of interaction between how I thought about create or making stuff and yeah. how I experienced the work myself. So yeah, it's it's been a very nice process. Yeah. Sure. And what about you, Klaus? So obviously, coming from Sweden, where it's illegal. Um, I've been sort of in and out of the informal market and um, dabbled in it, done it on occasion and part-time also on the side of my studies. And uh, since coming here, I've uh, been able to do it legally. I feel like I have more power. I feel like I'm more in control of this as a business. And um, I'm also doing my thesis on sex work. And so they sort of parallel at the moment. Both involved in the academic side of sex work. Perhaps you guys could be a bit more specific about what you're both interested in from an academia perspective. Right. So for me, um, I'm very interested in, so I'm doing my thesis now on performed intimacy and like the long lasting effects of that because the girlfriend experience in the contact sex work is increasing a lot. Mm -hmm. And how does that affect the worker? How do we embody that labor? I find that to be really intriguing. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I started uh, with my bachelor thesis on um, the female gaze within uh, straight porn and uh, or how how women 
can relate to sexual imagery. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, later I got more interested in um, close readings and, and discourse uh, analysis of how we uh, debate porn in a mainstream setting. Mm -hmm. um, did you study here at Uva? Yes, I did. And on the film studies, because I did the Masters of Film Studies, mm -hmm. for the bachelors, are there any sort of poor modules? Mine is very tr traditional. And just sort of how was the reaction when when you took these kind of works on? Well, I think my my uh, my scholars have, have always been very supportive. Okay. Um, I could do like an official internship at a porn company. I... Uh, yeah, I, I got all the help that I needed, and it was not—it was not being seen as something weird. I was definitely the only one in my year who was dealing with the topic in the way I did, but didn't feel it was frowned upon. Okay. Yeah. So, what's your relationship like with your clients? Um, well, so for me, I do a lot of yeah, again, intimacy, girlfriend experience. So for me, the relationship is well. I mean, it is intimate. There's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of dinners and cuddles. Um, it's, I mean, it's a nice relationship. Yeah. I, well, for me, it, it really depends because um, working, of course, working in porn, I always get to work with my colleagues and that's super nice um, because uh, we're all trained to, uh, uh, to discuss consent very well and to, uh, uh, to, to know how to negotiate, having a good time, looking good on camera. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's that's usually a very nice experience um, working online as a uh, online performer. Um, yes, sometimes it does get a bit boring when you have like a lot of short shows uh, and you you just you're basically busy putting on and off your bra. Um, <laughs> but I definitely have clients uh, who I've been seeing for for several years. Uh, uh, who I know like well, I don't know who they are, but mm -hmm. I kind of know who they are so even though um there's a lot of physical distance uh often between me and my my clients i i do feel i i build relationships with them on the note of like working with other people i can sometimes find that sex work especially if you work with alcohols can become quite isolating hmm. um and if you only rely on that relationship with clients some, sometimes they can get to you and mm -hmm. how how would you experience that as sort of in the cam yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Because I started when I was already like very much involved with Proud, the Dutch Sex Worker Union. Um, at that time, I was the spokesperson and the chair of Proud. So I was like dealing and working with, with a bunch of sex workers all the time. Um, but now, now I'm not anymore. It can be like, it's mainly like when I'm at home by myself and I want to go work, that I really need to sort of like put myself together to, to go sit sit behind that camera and to be honest I long for being able to just go to a to a place and know that there's a specific person waiting for me who's super excited to go and see me yeah so yeah I I see the loneliness in that too but I think it, it would motivate me more to like sort of go to work yeah especially now that we're starved of like any contact definitely are you finding it's more competitive for you online with coronavirus now that everything's sort of moving on to an online platform or do you have a well-established client base I, I have a well, you're, you're yeah. well secure i have a well-established client base to be honest i um i've been i've been focusing a lot on my activism lately so okay. my client base is more uh, shallow uh, than it was 
but um, yeah, it's always it's it's. I, I was very pleased to see that when I got back online the other week, uh, that like they were still there. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and do you work independently, or are you working under an umbrella for an organization, or sort of how how does that work? Mm. I'm I just signed up for a website, uh, and I've got an account there. Okay. And yeah, so I I'm uh, relying uh, on the traffic okay. the website is creating for me. And sort of how's the payment structure? Mm. with that sort of how much do you keep for yourself how much goes sort of both the costs for the website as well as any other yeah so i pay i think so i set my own prices my minute rates and for and i pay 60 60 or 65 percent um fee really yeah and then after that that's before taxes um, and because I don't work for a, a Dutch website, I don't have to pay Dutch uh, VAT. Mm. Um, but I still pay like my income taxes and stuff like that. So, yeah. What What's that like in relation to other websites? Just to give us a perspective in terms of 65%. Sounds is that quite oh, high? It is, it, is, yeah. it is quite high, but it's not unusual. There are websites who uh, take more. There are also websites who take less, but usually uh, what, what my personal experience is is the more the the less money the website takes um the less they do for you so there's also less traffic and i really like the fact that i can now just go online and there will be clients mm-hmm. so they take uh, all the promotion and stuff like that yes bring the clients to you yeah i still out. need to build my i still need to build on my own uh on my own client base of as well of course like you yeah you are definitely uh, especially when it comes about embodying your your sex worker persona yeah. um people expect more and more of you to be online to be mm-hmm. visible to to be more personal mm-hmm. klaus what about you what's the payment structure like and are you independent um so right now um i've just actually before corona started my own company like self-employment um unfortunately i was not able to get started before this happened so i'm sort of falling between chairs but prior to that well okay so first of all with the self-employment i mean yeah you pay vat and then incomes taxes before that i worked with an agency and they took 45 percent. same there it's around private houses clubs and agencies will take around 50 percent um sort of what aspects of your job do you enjoy um, I really like that I can make money whenever I want, that I don't have to rely on other people's schedules. And I like that when I'm when I go online, it's it's very um, well, sometimes it's uh, it's a bit like escapism. Like when I when I'm fully in political lobby, my like my mind explodes of all the things that I need to think of mm-hmm. and need to arrange. And then being online for a few hours can be like very clear. And yeah, so yeah, I like that. And what about you, Klaus? Well, I, yeah, I'm going to have to echo sort of flexibility, my own schedule. Also, you know, I'm in charge. I set my rates and where my boundaries are. But then I do really enjoy the sort of one-on-one contact I have with my clients and especially building a sort of long-term relationship with them. Yeah, it's actually, it's nice. Yvette, um, so did you have to spend a lot on equipment for the job? Do you find that you invest quite a bit actually to st- sustain the business? Good question. So I think it's, it's good to say that I'm not I'm not going for like top ten of the website. So okay. I'm I'm a fairly mediocre webcammer, <laughs> um, and I think I spend uh, along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I definitely uh, bought a light. I bought lights. I bought uh, a better computer. I bought mm-hmm. a better webcam. I buy new lingerie uh, that fits my brand more. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Um, so this is a question for both of you. Do you feel like there's been more competition since the beginning of COVID? 
Well, I mean, the problem for us is that we're not allowed to work at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the uh, sites are taking away the options for meeting up and you can only advertise with your online options. They're also sending out warnings quite aggressively to remind us uh, what we are and what we're not allowed to do. So it's been quite stressful. I mean, yeah. Some of us that are self-employed are able to get coronaid, um, but a lot of people don't, and a lot of people don't have a lot saved up, and yeah, falling behind between the cracks, and that's been really stressful. But in terms of, yeah, increased pressure, not so much. Like, all the good clients more or less respect these boundaries and stay at home, and then you have the not-so-nice clients left looking to sort of Mm -hmm. meet illegally. Yeah. And that's also a problem for people who are not able to not work. Um, yeah. Sex workers who are not getting help, sex workers who, who really need to pay rent this month, they are taking higher risks than mm. they took before. And and especially with the nice clients being, being mindful of boundaries, yeah. the nasty clients will probably be more nasty. So we're really afraid that not having financial help for sex workers nor um, being able to to go to work in like what we call them the contact jobs yeah. uh, like from next week on from Monday uh, yeah, on. Yeah, Monday on. Yeah. People are allowed to go to a massage parlor again, to go to mm. um, to the the hairdresser again, okay. uh, to see a therapist. Like um, there's a lot of uh, everything is allowed and like until yesterday, I we we assumed that sex workers were part of that because that was the reason why we're yeah, not allowed to work exactly. because we were contact laborers, mm. and now all the contact laborers are allowed to work except for sex workers. Oh, mm. Sort of ridiculous situation, right? And so it we is. have to wait until first of September, and that's going to be a total of six months for people Gosh. that and are marginalized. And deaf thinking that like a lot of brothels, we don't even know if those brothels will survive mm. six months of being yeah. closed down. And that would mean that, like, a lot of licensed workplaces will not be there anymore. Yeah, do you mm. think it will lead to more people being unlicensed? Working? Well, definitely, there will be less places to, to do licensed work. And um, although I'm, I'm very much in favor of people not needing a license to do, like, a free occupation, mm-hmm. the, 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 the places that are, are still there are probably not going to be there in six months. And that's horrifying. Mm. Through your organisation or other organisations, are there any conversations being had with the Dutch government? Are the Dutch government even wanting to listen? The Dutch uh, government is trying really hard to get rid of sex work and they, yeah. are, they just announced a new law um, that we um, heavily uh, uh, consulted against. They yeah never never let a good crisis go to waste. No, to speak so with they uh, a fellow uh, <laughs> uh, sex work activist, Rose, who yeah. So we, I think we are we are really at the point where our government is just about to criminalize us, basically. Should we move on to the legality of sex work in the Netherlands? Do you Absolutely. Explain to our listeners. Um, yeah. So what can get confusing is that you have three options, right? So you have that it's criminal, or that it's legalized, or that it's decriminalized. Mm. And so what we have in the Netherlands is that it's legal, which means that it's not considered labor in terms like everything else, but it has a lot of extra regulations, which makes it difficult for us now during COVID, otherwise to get licenses to feel safe and work safely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's interesting to often people think that the Netherlands are very like open-minded and tolerant mm. about sex work, uh, but we definitely do not have the best system. And unfortunately, our, our current government is heading towards the Swedish model. Sorry, before we just talk about the Swedish model, what is the best system out there at the moment? 
Oh, I would say um, decriminalization as done by uh, New South Wales Australia. Mm. Okay. Um, decriminalization was designed in New Zealand. Uh, New South Wales also included uh, migrant sex workers, so that's really important. Does that involve a licensing? No, well? no, okay. no. Every uh, crimin- yeah, every special. It's just sex work. Is there literally just work? Mm-hmm. Um, just like you don't need a license to be a waitress. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, maybe, Klaus, you want to talk about the Swedish model? Right, the product of my motherland. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the Swedish model came out in 1999 out of Sweden. And um, what it does is that in the name of protecting sex workers, because they it uh, goes along the lines with radical feminism. And so they're saying you can't blame the sex workers because we're all victims of the patriarchy. And so therefore we're not being criminalized, um, but it's the buyer that is criminal. Okay. Unfortunately, so this sounds good in theory, but in practice we're still treated like criminals. In order to get to our clients, they end up harassing us. They mm. end up trying to figure out our networks. Again, we're going to have to take a lot of risk mm. to ensure that our clients feel safe and want to meet us. Also, you know, hard to pay taxes. We need to f- try and figure that stuff out. And um, this also comes with a lot of pressure that people don't realize that they can take away your children if they find out that you're a sex worker because it's immoral to do sex work. Also, if anyone associated with you mm. can be charged with facilitating illegal prostitution really? and that... Of- so often they will do this to put pressure on sex workers to give information about clients. And so they can make your landlord evict you and they can threaten to take your children just in order to get to your clients or to get to other workers. God, that's so big state. Is this model seen as outdated? Or people- <laughs> no, unfortunately not. So this has actually been implemented more and more. Also something that people don't think about. So this is actually an export for Sweden. And so we make money exporting this to other countries because we need to go there and teach them and show them how this is done. Really? Uh, Yeah, and so now you have it in Canada, France, Ireland. And I mean, study upon study shows us in favor of decriminalization. You have Amnesty, World Health Organization, the biggest queer organization in Sweden have in just a few past few years since the Nordic model has been growing. Study after study shows that it actually creates more crime against sex workers. We're more unsafe. What's very scary to see in France is that sex workers are being harassed more and especially uh, trans women are being harassed more. And and we hear stories back from sex workers that a client calls the police and that, that the sex workers are still being fined and, and clients not. So it's like it's like it's it's a ridiculous system. We know we know it will enhance violence against sex workers if you go for the Swedish model or for the criminalization of, of clients. And there's like there's a, there's another model just right there waiting yeah. for, to be implemented. Uh, but but still, they'll people think still think of sex work as something difficult and understand uh, ununderstandable, mm. and and therefore it's uh, uh, very factless decisions are being made when it comes to policy. What do you think the biggest roadblocks? in the way of decriminalization are like why why are governments so against it well i think especially for sweden you have i mean radical feminism um which often is often swerf and turf (laughs) which is um sex worker and trans exclusive and i mean yeah so they see us as victims and unless we change that because what happens is then that removes our agency if we're always the victim we can never be in control of the situation and they think that 
prostitution is an inherent male domination yeah. over women, which is also interesting because it's all always focused on women, mm-hmm. never on trans people mm-hmm. or men, which are also part of the industry. Yeah, um, Are women serving women? Mm. Yeah. I think that is the biggest struggle to sort of change that mindset and that point of view. Yeah. And um, what about the Dutch? Because you speak how everyone mm. has this perception the Dutch is so liberal. And I mean, the industry is legalized here at the moment, but yet they're sort of so against it. Why mm. Why is that? Well, we, we are still like a very religious, like a very Christian country. Uh, right now we have uh, two, uh, two, two Christian parties in, in, in our coalition. Um, and one of those parties has it like very on their, like they're really set on um, on fighting fighting sex work and um, it's interesting and that's that's also like really scary because like there's there are no there are no real political parties at the moment in in parliament who stand up for our rights we're, we're easy to uh, nope it's like it's very it's very very heartbreaking to me to see how openly we are being discriminated against right now by the current coalition and that no one no one in parliament is, is standing up for us mm-hmm. it's it's like unbelievable. Yeah. And a big problem with this is also that the public council meetings yeah. are recorded. So a lot of sex workers don't want to go and voice their opinion. Anonymity is really important for a lot of yeah. sex workers. And currently it's really hard to make our voice heard um, without risking being outed. Yeah, and it's also like we're, we, we're not allowed to come together. We're not allowed to demonstrate. Mm. Uh, like even I was this morning, I was thinking, OK, well, how can we fight this law? Can we chain ourselves to our to our second <laughs> chamber? And I was like, yeah, but there's no one's there. Like it yeah. doesn't make any sense. You can't you can't do anything when the media is not hearing your voice and there's literally no like social life going on and just decisions are being made and we're just being thrown into the. And so this is the Sex Work Regulation Act, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so what this... Um, what they want to propose is that everyone has to be licensed. Otherwise, you can get a 20,000 euro fine. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to be 21. Mm -hmm. Also, not like any other labor. So Mm -hmm. that's a bit problematic. But the worst one is that there should be a national registry of all sex workers, which in terms of anonymity, everyone's freaking out about. And of course, they're saying that our social security number is mm. private and only for the government to have a look at. But what they want to do in order for you to become a sex worker, they want you to have an interview with a civil servant who will determine whether or not he or she thinks you can do the job. Right. And like, no real guidelines. It's just up to what this person thinks. And then they can keep this registry and add notes on you and what mm. they think you're doing wrong or if you ever lose your self-resilience that you need. Sorry, has this been introduced now? Yes. Is it in place? No, it's not in place yes. yet, but it will be up to vote probably. Uh, will it, so there's like this whole system a law goes through before it really gets to Parliament. Um, but now they are pushing it to go to Parliament like the second week of September. That's like 14 <laughs> days yeah. after we can finally start work again. Yeah. So people will like... It's very smart if you're yeah. not liking sex work. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no time to gather and protest no so in terms of um i'm sorry but sorry i would i would like to elaborate on that a bit because 
21, like being the, the, the legal age, means that when you are a sex worker and you're younger than 21, mm. you're not part of the legal system, which means that they think of you as being vulnerable because you're being younger. But if you still need to choose to do sex work, you cannot go to the police when anything goes wrong. It makes you more vulnerable. The same goes for people who uh, uh, might be in an abusive relation and will try to use sex work secretly to get some money to be able to leave the relationship. These people cannot go to the police. Like It's like everything that makes people vulnerable will yeah. be like enhanced by, uh, by not being able to work legally. And, and this licensing system is only as strong as, as the weakest uh, civil servant, right? I mean, we, we know uh, our, our systems are failing. We just had a huge scandal with, uh, with tax uh, offices. We know that people are like, people can be blackmailed into giving up a lot of our information. And yeah. we've seen it before and we will see it again. And a system like this will put sex workers at risk. And in the Netherlands, in terms of shelters and charities, are they overburdened? Are there enough of them that are specifically for sex workers? I don't think we need necessarily... In general, we don't need charities. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, we need the possibility and uh, the resources to, uh, to be allowed to organize ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're a bunch of very smart people, usually, with a lot of, uh, with a lot of knowledge, with a lot of work knowledge. And we're, we're, we usually stand, out for, stand up for each other. So we, we need to have the resources to be able to, to grow in that. Yeah. And I think also that we just need to be respected and we just want to recognize that we have our agency because we're always being parented by the government. We're always yeah. treated like children. And Halsema is currently, so the mayor of Amsterdam, she continues to say that she wants to relocate Amsterdam for the sake of sex workers, but a majority of sex workers don't want to be moved. And she's not listening to what we're saying, but she's saying, I know better than you what you need. Mm -hmm. That's what these laws and regulations are about. And we just want to be able to make our own decisions like the adults that we are. Yeah. Do you feel safe working in Amsterdam? Because even though it's legal, it sounds like there's not really much infrastructure there to support workers. Oh, um, well, there or, there is. Usually there is. Okay. Uh, I mean, there, there are um, uh, a bunch of places where you can... Where you, no, I'm, I'm lying. I'm sorry. I should rephrase this. Um, there are different options. Okay. Um, but okay, so for me, as a as a chem person and, and and a porn person, I'm not inside these laws. But when I work, uh, when I offer prostitution service in 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 any sort of way, that that makes life really difficult here. And I'm very happy that we have like uh, the PNG, which is the health service, uh, especially for sex workers. I'm very happy we have Proud and the PIC are safe is now uh, uh, starting to come of age, so to speak. Um, are these independently run or are they funded by the government? Um, they're independently run and some of them have, well, the, the, the PNG, the health centre, is, is a government project, but like very self-organising. Although there, there, there are some sex workers involved, but they're not sex worker-led. Mm -hmm. um, but Proud is sex worker-led, but had like money from the government. Mm -hmm. PIC is independent and safe gets a little bit of money yeah so funding exactly funding is more or less is but it's sex worker run just because we're short of time before we move on to sort of portrayals in uh, films and literature perhaps are there any other misconceptions you want to address well i think just to carry on actually with the safety thing um to move or relocate red light um i think is 
dangerous. So one of the options is to create a sex centre or a sex hotel that's somewhere in the outskirts. And a lot of workers continuously say that being in the public space and working is what makes them feel safe. That red light compared to a lot of other places makes them feel safe compared to Sweden, Berlin. I mean, Pasha is also a sort of sex centre in Germany, in Cologne. And everyone is saying that red light is where I feel safe. Even if there is a third party involved, red light is the public eye and that's where they feel safe as working. I think that in the Netherlands, the red light district is so so regulated that there is a lot available. Like there are uh, the, the buttons you can push on when, uh, when you have a bad client and someone will come. Uh, there's a lot of cameras hanging around. So there is, um, people know they're being watched. Um, so that's, that's different. But Again, it's also not for everyone. Like, uh, not everyone wants to be in the public eye, and um, not everyone needs to be. I think that if we if we really believe that we have to all to have all sex workers inside, um, we can also make a statement that we ha- should have all women in abusive relationships inside. Maybe we should get a license for people for for women who want to be in a relationship because most violence against women will happen in intimate relationships. Maybe we should do something about that. Like it's I'm sorry for my sar- sarcasm, but that's basically really what it comes down to. Yeah, and absolutely. And it's like saying that sex work is violence against women or that what a lot of radical feminists will say is that um, if you work as a sex worker and you enjoy it you should not be allowed to do this because so many people are suffering from what you do and that's like saying we should ban all sex because there is rape yeah it just doesn't make sense sex workers work and um, within a capitalist system we're all being exploited and some of us are lucky enough to to choose to have more options than others and and the people who have less options should be um, supported by the government rather than being pushed aside. Right. And like what it comes down to is that we must be able to talk about exploitations without becoming victims of trafficking. We must be able to talk about how we want to improve the system without every little incident becoming proof against us. Yes. You said there are no political parties currently in power that really are voicing Mm -hmm. your difficulties and your struggles. Are there any other political parties that sex workers are aligned with or are in conversation with or supporting? Well, we're in conversation with a lot. I think we were really sad that D66, who is now also in the coalition, sort of, well, I think we all feel that we've been sold out by them because uh, we have very good, we used, well, we have very good relationship on a European and local level, but not on national level. Mm. But I'm, yeah, I'm really hoping for Bayane to to get a a seat in, uh, in Parliament next year. Okay, so maybe if we move on to sort of the portrayal of sex workers in films and literature, uh, perhaps we start off with Pretty Woman, um, a film that most people have seen. Just what is your perspective of it and how it portrays uh, sex workers? Well, I mean, it sort of needs to come up because, yes, this is sort of uh, a conception that a lot of people have, but it is quite a ridiculous portrayal. Um, I would say it's not at all how I experience uh, my work. I mean, okay, how would you start? Like, what would you dig into I first? think it, it set a um, standard for <laughs> for clients. <laughs> and, like, as as much as it's not a good representation of, cli- of of sex workers, it's absolutely also not a good representation representation of what we like our clients to be. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be saved by some rich man. Which a lot of clients will try to do, by the way. Yeah. Yes. There are a lot of savior complexes. Yeah. 
definitely in marriage proposals and um, you're better than this or you're too smart to be a sex worker. Which is very demeaning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of them in so many ways. But I guess, yeah, okay, so one point that kind of interesting in terms of a pretty woman is that she doesn't kiss her client. And a lot of people will ask this. And I think in the West, um, a lot of sex workers find this notion ridiculous because it's expected of you and it's not really... I mean, especially if you're dealing with intimacy, that happens a lot. But I also read this study from China, I believe it was in Hong Kong, Olive Chung, and culturally, they're kissing is actually often off the table because so there's this like blurring of bodily boundaries that happens in kissing that doesn't happen when you have a condom on and penetration and so for a lot of workers that is the sort of no-no um whereas i find with a lot of my co-workers um they have other things such as anal or someone actually doesn't want fingering without um, condoms or glove on so for each individual worker you'll have different parameters and restrictions um, which I do find quite interesting especially in terms of this yeah performance and how we embody labor like what does each individual worker feel like they have to do in their ritual yeah 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 I think it's it's in the red light district also not necessarily business as usual to to just kiss clients but yeah like you can't you can't really have the full girlfriend experience without some mountain mouth action right um and so that will vary yeah it varies from worker to worker what you specialize in and i guess as a client that's good to keep in mind when you um, decide to see a worker that you can't just expect the same thing from everyone you don't have the privilege of everything with everyone Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say something. I wanted yeah, to say yeah, another thing. Um, um, that it's also like, if you are if you are a client listening, uh, it's also nice to sort of speak about expectations before you go oh, I- to a date or go into action. Because just as um, it's important for sex workers to know and state their boundaries, it's also nice if people know what they want and what they're coming for. So you can say if you're really offering that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you. But yeah, do you want to talk about your next example? Pose. Pose, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um I, I loved pose um for, for 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 many, many reasons. But so what we what we've seen like historically uh if in, in representation of sex workers in media is that we're usually the beginning of NCSI uh, episodes where one of us is not alive in a ditch or we're 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 being murdered at some point like uh, there's an awful lot of of dead hooker jokes and and when that's not the case it's usually very shocking when someone is a sex worker in in a series it will be like it will be a thing if someone is a sex worker and in pose uh, which is like made coming from from community sex work is literally being portrayed as work and 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 also it also shows i think how people in marginalized positions uh, are the ones who got each other's backs and i thought it was beautiful to see yeah and i think you see that quite a bit in queer narratives that just like you say that sex work is not a big deal and people kind of move in and out of it like any other job it's something you can take up and quit and there's a lot of support and solidarity which yeah, we don't see in the heteronormative discourse at all. So, yeah, anything queer is good. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> and finally, our last one, Selling Sex by Louis Ferrou. <clears throat> right. And so I wanted to put that in there because I feel like that's often 
how we're represented, and especially in documentary form. It's often um, men making documentaries about sex workers, um, coming in to have a look and then deciding what we are and how we should be represented. And this was heavily sort of um, ad-marketed as it's been done with sex workers and um, in, in conversation and discussion with them. And then when it came out, a lot of uh, several of the sex workers involved came out and said that, no, we didn't agree to this portrayal at all mm. on several accounts. Yeah, like interviews being cut to pieces, which is not which is not unusual for, for documentary, but, but definitely um, being framed in another way. Sex workers felt that they, that they endorsed something that they are absolutely not comfortable with. Yeah, and they also were shown some of these interviews prior and they opposed them, but they just went ahead and carry them on anyways and made the documentary accordingly. Um, <clears throat> and the portrayal in Selling Sex is very much that, you know, you're cold-hearted and emotionally distant and this wears you out. And when I came out, I think this was a big issue. Like, this is the portrayal that my the only portrayal that my parents have seen and so for them <clears throat> they got very worried about what about your mental health and what if you get stuck they're very worried about me getting stuck and I mean it's going to be a process to try and convince them and trying yeah. to change this but I think that a lot of people take the documentary as truthful and this is what they see when they look at tv so Klaus what does getting stuck mean so they're worried that this is what I'm going to do and I can't find my way out of it because this should just be sort of temporary um yeah speaking of coming out klaus came out three is it's been three weeks now maybe i'm not sure yeah something yeah um, um that's very very fresh yeah <laughs> very well, fresh so brave of you to be here yeah well i i just got sick of having to hide it i got very bad at lying about it as well i got too lazy to actually cover up properly um i remember telling tiff i'm like no i work at a bar ish don't ask um (laughs) (laughs) um and actually so it wasn't meant to tell my parents initially because i thought like i should do this in person and i came out on instagram and so i made sure to block everyone and like that could have any contact with my parents and then it turns out that my godmother is the only one above, you know, age 25 that also has a private account. And so she found out and all of a sudden I'm getting a lot of calls and my sister's like, yeah, bro, you better pick up the phone. So unfortunately I had to deal with that on the phone. But um, apart from that, I mean, I haven't been disowned. They are still mm-hmm. supportive. They still love me. And since I have a lot of queer and lovely people around me, I actually have just been getting so much love from this. So, yeah. It's been a good experience. And how have you found it coming on the podcast, talking about it? Um, I think when I've talked about this before, you're always met with, like, you, you you can't talk about this because you're not a worker. What do you know? So now I feel like, yeah, okay, I can talk about this yeah. and let's... Good. Well, I'd like to thank you both for coming on. This has been a really productive discussion for us. I hope it has been for you as well. Thank you um, for inviting us. Well, thank you for coming along. But yeah, uh, we wish you all the best and thank you. Spreading. You can say that it's COVID-19, not the virus. This year I'm trending. Uh, let, me, let me just kill this track, spill these tracks, and I'm on to the next thing. But let's take this thing serious. Please stay safe and don't get infected. Love to the families who've been affected. <laughs>